now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Michael Edgeley and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Willem van Denderen, Derek Dyson and Michael Edgeley for a podcast spun off from our main show where we go through highlights of the past week, our teams and moments and plenty more. Derek, we've got a big show lined up. Welcome, firstly, uh, back to the program. Hope all of this is... Uh, is going well on the home front there. Uh, and if we go back to your uh, your first home, your, your family's home, Scotland, I believe that's where you're going to start uh, this week with your game of the week. Thanks. Good to be back, gentlemen. And I do notice that uh, on my return to the pod, Rob Gilbert has decided to leave ahead of the Liverpool-Arsenal game this weekend and following their chastening defeat at the weekend as well. So, Rob, very smart move by not being here, mate. But I'm actually going for international football for my game of the week. There has been so much football over the past week. You could have picked a number of games, but I've gone for Scotland's absolutely amazing 2-0 victory uh, over Spain. Two goals from Scott McTominay in seven minutes led to an explosion of joy around Glasgow's Hampden Park and uh, Scotland playing the uh, the former Euro champions, a much fancied um, uh, illustrious Spanish team completely and utterly off the pitch. And they now sit having won their first two games, top top of that group, Norway a distance, distance away on, on one point. And it's uh, Scotland's first win over Spain since 1984. And it's get this one edge. This is the first time Spain have lost a Euro qualifying match since October 2014. Uh, an no, amazing that's... result. It's an amazing result and you're very, uh, very right to call it out. And uh, it has to go down as one of Scotland's greatest wins, doesn't it? Of recent oh, look, Yeah, definitely in recent times. I don't know if it's quite... Um, Archie Gemmell and over the yeah, Dutch, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but but no, it's a, it's an amazing result. Scotland uh, is on a really good trajectory. Steve Clark is a fantastic manager, and who'd have thought uh, Scott McTominay, who ostensibly is a defensive central midfielder for Manchester United, doesn't actually start really that many games now that Casemiro is in the side, and yet he is just he's just absolutely made the difference in these two games. And obviously they've managed to solve the Robertson Tierney conundrum as well. The, the big joke in Scotland is their two best players are both left backs. So they, they play Tierney as a left-sided central defender and they play Robertson as ostensibly a left winger or a left wing back. And that uh, gets, gets the, the most out of them. And of course, Dykes leading the line guys and, uh, doing a fine job of it too so scotland for me game of the week had to be yeah i did notice dykes was still there that's good he was uh like we've had with a couple of the scottish guys coming in he was sort of the flavor of the month for them heading into the euro's edge didn't quite get the job done there uh, at the last major tournament good just but good to see that they've seen more in him than that and these uh they're going to persist for a bit longer derek would martin Boyle, if he was fit and harry Souter, would they be in scotland's best 11 if they were available for scotland I certainly think Sutar would, would would get in there as one of the centre-backs. I think Scotland have got the likes of McGinn and others that can play in those 
forward areas along with bikes. I think they'd be in the he's squad. He's a right winger. Boyle's a right winger, isn't he? Yeah. I think I think they'd both be in the squad. And I, th- I think Susar would definitely start. And, you know, I'm all up for the defence that they put out for the game. But Susar obviously brings a lot of quality. So he, he'd have to get in the team. Edge from Hampton Park to Amy Park, please. Absolutely. Well, my um, whole stoppage time theme is uh, women's football because of the uh, conclusion to the A-League women's season, which was such an exciting final round. My my game of the week was Melbourne City 3, Canberra United 3, a six-goal thriller. Melbourne City led 3-1, but two late goals to Vesna uh, Milovojevic. Um, she was unbelievable, dragging Canberra off the mat and almost getting them into the finals. Uh, well done to her. She was simply amazing. But I wanted to make a very special mention to Holly McNamara, who was simply awesome in the first 60 minutes. She goes into the Matildas camp with a lot of confidence and she just might be the bolter that um, we've been looking for in the Matildas setup. And a special mention to Kiwi Grace uh, Jail, who is one to watch, a very imposing uh, forward who uh, had a good game for Cambria United. And uh, Willem, Cambria United, they have to be the stiffest team in Australian football at the moment uh, to miss out on the finals on uh, goal difference uh, was a hard one for them to take, especially um, their last six weeks have been so good. I did see uh, some people online, which really doesn't mean much, but some people online saying maybe we should have an A-League women's top six. Uh, all the complaints over the years. No, we how, should. How, yeah, I know. All the complaints about how what, what a large proportion of the A-League men's make the finals. We expand by a couple of teams in the A-League women's. So they want more teams. Wouldn't have thought so. But no, Canberra, most certainly uh, unfortunate. But that's... Uh, points to a uh, a good competitive competition when good sides miss out. Two sides that I don't think will miss out on the A-League men's finals are Western Sydney and Adelaide United. They are my game of the week. I think this stood out pre-game as certainly one to watch and it delivered second against third and two uh, two sides that have put the ball in the onion bag a fair bit this season. Uh, not a lot of Adelaide's goals though. Edge have come from Ben Warland. What a had a tasty price for him to be a, a multiple goal scorer, but that's how it played out. Uh, Brandon Borello and Lawrence Thomas, good for the Wanderers, but ultimately, uh, I think three of Adelaide's goals came from corners. Uh, and in the end, we had the the flashpoint with Marcelo um, getting very physical and uh, and getting a red could uh, a red could a red card. Iren Kunda uh, particularly fired up as well. Yeah, Adelaide for me though are really coming into this final series in form, aren't they? Well, and I think they're a big chance to. Uh, rattle the cage and uh, bridge the gap to Melbourne City. But, uh, yeah, very good selection for your game of the week. Derek, who's your team of the week? Oh, look, I'm going with Arsenal, guys, but it's not the men. I'm coming back to the the women again. The women have been on absolute fire the last few weeks, and there's a few reasons for this. But Jonas Erdogan is doing a top job there with the Arsenal women. We've got to remember, too, that they're doing all of... This stuff without Vivian Miedemar, their talisman, one of the probably one of the best ten players in in world football. But they beat Manchester City in what was a critical game over the weekend, and as a result of that, the two-one uh, victory, uh, a uh, brilliant goal at the end from McCabe, won it. That actually puts Arsenal really back in the mix for the uh, for the for the for the title uh, Manchester United are top but they played a game more and three points back are Arsenal so a win uh, of the game in hand would take them level on points with uh, Manchester United Chelsea in the mix there too and it allowed Arsenal to leapfrog Manchester City so it was a massive game uh, and of course this came off the back of 
uh, a 2-0 win over Bayern, which put Arsenal into the semi-finals of the Champions League, turning around the 1-0 uh, defeat that they had in Bavaria the week before. And of course, they absolutely annihilated Spurs 5-1 in a game that took place a week ago. Two goals from Caitlin Ford. In fact, she's now scored a brace against Spurs three times in her career. So Spurs must absolutely hate seeing the sight of uh, Caitlin Ford on the team sheet. And uh, Edge, what a critical player she is suddenly now for Arsenal as this uh, season comes to the to the pointy end. Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin Ford was probably our best player at the 2019 Women's World Cup in France, uh, the Matildas that is, um, and she's been a very serviceable player for Arsenal and taken on a bigger uh, responsibility in the team after Miedemeyer went down. Um, so, yeah, Caitlin Ford, uh, that hamstring injury's come at a bit of, bit of a wrong time. Let's hope that um, it's not serious, that uh, she can do her rehab and, and get back onto the field for Arsenal as well as the Matildas. Your team of the week, please, Edge. My team of the week, I've got to go. I'm sticking with the A-League women's theme and Sydney FC, Premier's Plate, three years in a row. Uh, congratulations to Ante Juric and all of the people at Sydney FC who have put out a program that has been dominant for three years in a row. They do have, um, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about are they the, the best team of the W-League, A-League women's sort of era. Um, I think they need to win this year's championship to do that. They've only won one of their past five grand finals. Having said that, it is a very significant achievement. Well done to everybody at Sydney FC. You should hold your head up high. And I noticed in our main show, if people haven't listened to it, you should listen to the interview with Teo Pelleziri. He thinks they've got it sewn up already, Willem, doesn't he? He does, which is bold, considering they've lost the last three, but he uh, he is well informed. Uh, and credit to Sydney as well, Edge, because they had uh, a game in hand and they needed to beat Perth Glory. And I think... Uh, it was one of those sort of moments where it could have gone either way. They battered them in the first half, but I think they found themselves at two all, didn't they, before uh, Sydney kicked on and, and found the extra two goals and, and won pretty comprehensively 4-2. But it was looking a little bit shaky for a period. It was, and um, the Madison Haley, their, their import, who is a, a very, very good player, has not been available for most of the season. So so they've done it with their locals, and um, uh, Courtney Vine has really emerged as a top liner this season. Princess abini has been very dependable, and in the late in the season... Um, our own Rachel Lowe has uh, made a big impact. So congratulations to Sydney FC, um, uh, deserved uh, Premier's Plate winners in my book. Derek, we'll scoot along to your moment of the week. Yeah, we're going to be talking about managers from my point of view between now and the end of the show. But the moment of the week from a positive point of view was the return of Roy Hodgson to Crystal Palace. I, I, I envisaged him probably out on his allotment somewhere when he got the uh, got the phone call from the uh, palace hierarchy and said that they needed him back. And, of course, I was bemoaning the fact that my son's namesake, Patrick Vieira, had been sacked a few weeks ago. But this felt like a really pivotal weekend in the Premier League in a number of different ways. There was something riding on nearly every game. And you just felt that, depending on how the results went, um, you know that you know it, it. You know it was going to be sort of defining, and I think it will be a defining one for Crystal Palace because they they won this game two one. It was a stoppage time winner at home against Leicester. Mateta with the goal uh, that actually went behind to Leicester Castagna, what looked like a vital goal for the then um, Leicester manager Brendan Rodgers, and we're going to talk about him shortly. But this was an absolutely crucial win on a crucial weekend. Uh, Palace are now 
five points clear of the drop zone and they're sitting in 12th and that just shows you how compact uh, this Premier League is this season there are genuinely virtually no mid-table teams in the Premier League maybe Villa Chelsea who again we're going to talk to as well but everyone from 12th down can can get relegated and I think we all probably screwed our noses up a little bit when when Woy was brought back but I tell you what he's got the dead cat bounce at the very least and it's a critical win for uh, for Palace so that was my moment of the week gents. Derek did you see the graphics that Sky Sports put up and it was the top three oldest managers at clubs in the Premier League and it was just Roy in three different poses in uh, at three different clubs? Oh look, there's a there's a few there's a few golden oldies out there at the moment, and it reminds me of a stat that I've been meaning to share with the show for some time. It has been doing the rounds, but um, in 1995, the uh, Huddersfield Town manager was Neil Warnock, and the and the Palmer goalkeeper was a young prospect called Gianluigi Buffon. Now, who is currently the Huddersfield manager, and who is currently the Palmer goalkeeper in 2023? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. So Roy, uh, at seventy-four years old, uh, showing that he can still, he can still do a thing. And, and look, that that was. We'll see how they go. Palace probably need two, two or three more wins. Um, I don't think it's a long-term prospect for Roy. It feels like a bit of a rescue mission, and it'll be interesting to see who turns up at Selhurst Park in the summer. But um, a crucial win there. I'm going to jump in with my moment of the week. We're crisscrossing between the Premier League and the uh, the Australian uh, game, but we're going to continue doing so. 17-year-old Max Caputo nods in for Melbourne City. Uh, they have got the wobbles a little bit edge. Their premiership tilt, like Sydney FC and the women's, they've won the last handful, uh, but they found themselves down a goal and a man to Newcastle after Scott Jamison's umpteenth red card of his career. Uh, and their lead would have been cut to a point with just a game in hand. We're getting to the pointy end as well. So... Uh, enter Caputo. If you've seen him, he doesn't look 17. He looks 35 and tall enough to play uh, ruck in the footy. But he made his debut a couple of years ago uh, in front of no one. COVID Melbourne Derby 2021. Played for the Young Socceroos uh, and now on his fourth appearance. Uh, yeah, unheralded and has only played a small role. But that goal uh, will be crucial as we come to crunch time. Yeah, I believe it's the youngest uh, age of a player to score a goal for Melbourne City in their history. So well done. To the young fella, and uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of very good judges saying that he's a very good player. So that um, production factory that produces footballers for um, the Socceroos and uh, professional footballers overseas continues to churn out uh, players. So my moment of the week, I'm going to go over to Wellington. I'm sticking with the A League Women's theme because it was the end of the A League Women's season. We're on the on the eve of a very exciting finals campaign, and it's Melbourne Victories. A-League women's sharpshooter, Melina Ayres. She scored her ninth goal in 11th games, and it was a classic number nine goal, Willem. She took the ball from the throw-in. She shielded the ball, took a touch, did a turn, and boom, uh, smashed it into the roof of the net, and the goalkeeper didn't even know uh, that it was coming. So Melina Ayres, um, we talk about her a lot on this program because um, of obvious reasons, but uh, that was um, one of her best goals this season, and she's in form, and she might just be the sort of player that can... Um, at least get them uh, one or two weeks into these finals. Willem. Dead about the question if you if you need to, but is she set for another uh, stint overseas in the off-season? Unlikely. I think um, with next season's uh, A-League season starting a little early and going longer, she's had sort of four seasons in a row, so she might be due to um, uh, enjoy a bit of rest and uh, get in the gym. 
and next season is a critical one, really, at her age and with her injury history. We know what she's been able to do when fit. It feels like that is, yeah, a particularly important season if it's going to pan out how everyone invested would like it to. Absolutely. She's only 23 years of age, just 23. So, um, yeah, she's got a long way to go in her career, but we know how good she is. If she can uh, continue to, to yeah, churn out this form, you know, Matildas are there for her. Derek, uh, sacking season in the Premier League. We said in the main show that we are uh, on record pace. This is the fourth season that there have been 10 managerial sackings. Uh, never has there been 11, but it appears that it's in the offing. Your hot topic? Yeah, I alluded to it a little earlier, just about how this felt like a pivotal weekend. And you just felt like, depending on how all of this mosaic of results went, you know, some some uh, heads were were bound to roll. And yeah, I had another topic for this segment up until this morning when I woke up and said saw but not one but two managers had gone and I suppose the big question was why have they done it now why didn't they do it at the start of the international window so they could have had a bit of time to to, to think about this but you know the big the big one so to speak is uh, Graham Potter we've spoken about him a lot on this show I feel uh, Edge and I have spoken a few times about whether he was a good fit for uh, for Chelsea. And as it turns out, even uh, Todd Bowley in the end decided that regardless of the potential that he saw there, that uh, Chelsea sitting 12 points outside the Champions League places um, and losing uh, losing more games than the winning just wasn't the situation that could be tolerated any longer. And it probably was a good decision um, overall. It will be... Interesting to see what they they do now. Do they go for the stopgap? Do they promote from within? Is there some kind of person they can jet in? Ironically, I think um, Brendan Rodgers is someone they could look at as a (laughs) stopgap. We could talk about him in a sec, but he was a coach at Chelsea with Jose Mourinho. uh, Knows the club inside out. Could could be interested. Um, Obviously, someone like Lampard could be jetted in and someone that could do a do a job. Um, Nagelsmann has obviously been spoken about as well, but there's some thought out of Germany that Nagelsmann would prefer to wait for the summer and see what all the options are available before his next move. But obviously with, you know, eight or nine games to go, Chelsea, um, it'll be interesting to see whether they put they go all in on the Champions League or whether they think they can get back into the the top four. Um, it's just a really it's just a really interesting scenario. And of course the other one was Brendan Rodgers sacked by Leicester. This one felt like it was coming and had been coming for some time. Um, I actually think he leaves with his CV and pride intact. He obviously won the FA Cup for them, two top five finishes. And the narrative has been that he's not really been backed by the board uh, in the transfer market. And that even if Leicester are too big to go down, so to speak, that you know that he wasn't really given the opportunity to thrive there. I feel that he will get another plum job, whether it's temporary job at Chelsea or Tottenham. They're talking about for Rodgers as well. Um, you know, who did who did Leicester go to? Who's their firefighter? Um, names that have been mentioned include uh, Wilder, uh, who's been doing some some great stuff uh, at Watford in the Championship, and Nigel Pearson's name from Bristol. Uh, Bristol City has also been mentioned as well as men that might come in and try and do the eight or nine um, games to try and save the season but they're the two four guys gents and uh, I wonder if that's it I wonder if everyone will now 
stick with their managers for the rest of the season with nine games to go. Derek, if I can ask you on Rogers, just off the back of an article I read this morning, uh, in terms of managers who we see, you know, he's had he's had a reasonably long managerial career now, uh, and the patterns that, of behaviour that emerge, we know Jose is sort of the pin-up boy for that. Uh, the first season usually is a build, the second season they usually win, and then the third season he's burned everyone else uh, out and the crash comes. With Rogers. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a discussion that he's such a great sort of motivator and such a, a great dressing room manager can get everyone to buy in uh, early on. We saw him nearly take Liverpool to the title. Obviously, Celtics maybe a little bit of a different uh, different kettle of fish given the competition that they have there. But then he also had the uh, the rise with Leicester early. Uh, but then perhaps he falls down tactically so that when the, uh, the challenges come, he can't quite adapt on the fly like some of the more tactical minds uh, can do. Would you say that's a, a fair assessment or not, given that we now have a fair body of work to uh, to judge him on? I think the body of work is really impressive for Brendan Rodgers. I think you just name-checked his CV. I think it's a really strong CV and makes me think that he will get a decent Premier League job offer uh, at some point. I think the, the, the thing that Leicester have been going through, whether it had been Rodgers or not, is the transition away from the Premier League winning era. And obviously that the last vestiges of that left with with, with Kasper Schmeichel uh, heading off. And um, Jamie Vardy, obviously, this is probably the first season where he's, you know, his level has dropped significantly. And I don't think that that has helped either. And I, th- I think probably... At Celtic, he would have been backed by the board there, obviously. Uh, at Chelsea, he, he sorry, at uh, Liverpool, obviously, he had uh, a sort of transfer war chest. He could bring in the likes of um, Suarez and, and others. I just think at Leicester, I think the problem for them is that how do you grow if you're Leicester? You're not going to be able to commercialise your brand in the same way the others can. They don't have the global reach. They don't have the sponsor reach uh, or, or the, the way to build. So I just think they got into a bit of a no-man's land where... They were completely overperformed, but what's next? The only thing you can do is then continue to splash hundreds of millions of dollars in players, which, frankly, they didn't have. So I think it was always going to be um, a tough challenge. Um, but I, t- I take your point on the cycle, as in managers do do these two, three-year loops now, and maybe it was just the natural end of what Rodgers could achieve. But in terms of um, you know, being able to leave with his head held high. I mean, I said, I think one of the rare times where a manager leaves with his reputation at least at least uh, on a par, if not slightly enhanced. And, um, you know, they were talking about Ange Poskakoglu as a possible uh, next manager to come in at Leicester. But hey. oh, I think that, that, that would be mental if you were Ange. Uh, why would you want to do that? But I think they're looking at that as a potential production line of talent coming out of Scotland. Neil Lennon is another one, ex Celtic manager, obviously has the Leicester connection too. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they go for, guys. Will be interesting. Do you think, uh, Derek, the last one on the coaches before I give my hot topic, but do you think Chelsea need to rush an appointment? I don't think they do. I think they should take their time and and really uh, do some due diligence because I thought Graham Potter's uh, appointment was, was rushed. They can't have done a lot of due diligence there. It's certainly a really it's a really important uh, appointment because they've spent half a billion pounds on this squad. So whatever they do next, they, they've you know to be able to recoup, uh, recapture the value there, and obviously make the most of the investment, um, they, they're going to have to be very careful. And I think the, the the thing that I think we've been getting at edge in our discussions has been. Um, he was just the wrong profile of manager. We're not saying that Graham uh, Potter is a bad football manager, a bad football coach. Clearly not. He's clearly extremely talented 
uh, and in the right circumstances and the right scenario, he's clearly really, really impressive. But Chelsea managers, from my experience, the ones that have done really well have had ego. They've had the ability to control the dressing room. There's been a bit of edge in them, you know, like a bit of dog, a bit of spitefulness at times in them. Um, when I'm thinking about Mourinho, I'm thinking about Conte. Um, these are the guys that have got the best out of this squad, out of, out, of, out of this team. So whoever they go for next, I don't think they go for Mr. Nice Guy. And maybe Nagelsmann isn't Mr. Nice Guy. He seems like, even, sorry, he is. he does seem like a nice guy. So maybe Nagelsmann isn't the right one. Maybe they are looking for someone with a bit of edge, a bit of spike, and someone that can come in and really, you know, take over what is one of the best dressing rooms in the Premier League in terms of the the personnel. Well, it's definitely the most expensive. But, uh, Willem, do you want me to go with my hot topic or do you want to go? I'd love nothing more. Okay, let's go with the hot topic. My hot topic is FIFA president Gianni Infantino has given the uh, global broadcasting community a massive spray. He's called out their hypocrisy around equality of payments. He's complaining to anybody who wants to hear about uh, broadcasters who criticised FIFA about uh, their approach to uh, equality of payment in prize money and that when it came to dipping their hands in their pockets, he's been complaining about the uh, level of broadcast rights that the Women's World Cup's been able to achieve. And he says it's um, it's basically 50% less than what it should be. He said the Women's World Cup final in 2019 drew 80% of the viewing audience of the Men's uh, World Cup final. Uh, he's been incredibly scathing about the double standards of the broadcasters. What do you think about that, Willem? I reckon Gianni's feeling the heat edge. He's not happy. Um, I think it's usually, a, you know, whether you like him or not, it's usually a pretty cool, calm demeanour, but he's uh, made more than the odd uh, faux pas over the last little while. And my hot topic stays within this realm. It's all to do with the highly contentious rainbow armband. We know that that was uh, a big hot topic in the lead-up to the Men's World Cup. Uh, and then Infantino came out off the back of that and he said that, at the Women's World Cup, the armbands would be okay and that the uh, the learning, or that Qatar was a learning experience for everyone. Looks like they might have changed their tune. Build, the uh, the German newspaper, one of the more reputable uh, football publications around the world, have said that the German women's team have been told the rainbow armband is banned uh, this summer. FIFA has informed us they want all participating nations to wear the FIFA captain's armband with the FIFA campaign. Uh, their team manager, Maika Fischer, uh, said so. I might be cynical, Edge, but that looks like a pretty petty way to get one back on the players off the back of the visit Saudi decision, where in a pretty sort of rare uh, event they ceded a little bit of ground. Well, the world's a big place, and there's different cultures, and um, you know the the rainbow armband wasn't going to go down well in the Middle East, so it will go down very well in Australia and New Zealand. So I'm thinking that it'll probably get up, but uh, I don't buy into the conspiracy theory there, Willem. That that's a petty way of getting back at the players. I think the the, uh, the rainbow armband will be very welcome in the Women's World Cup in Australia for obvious reasons. And uh, the world's a big place and um, not everybody has the same perspective of these things as uh, our humble secular Western community democracy that is Australia. All right, with my, uh, with my theory quashed, we'll wrap stoppage time for another week. Thank you for tuning in to box to box Make sure you subscribe. Main show, stoppage time. There's going to be some offside coming up as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, tweet us at Box2BoxNTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week uh, as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.